Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody here this morning. want to welcome everyone here and welcome any visitors we have. So last week we left off. Now we're in James chapter 2, and we had left off. We had looked at a question. I'm sorry, does anyone need a word book? Does... All right, because we've got some on the tables back there if anyone did need one. But uh... All right, so... We had left off, we were getting ready to do question number five. And the question for number five, why should one not show prejudice against the poor? Well, our text says, if you look back at uh, verse five, I'm sorry, did you have something? Anyone? No, okay. Um, I thought I'd seen movement, sorry. Uh, our text says God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him, right? So they may be poor in an earthly or worldly sense, but spiritually, every Christian is spiritually rich, rich in the blessings of God. And that is much greater than any earthly wealth we may have. So continuing on, if no one has anything on that, then uh, if we look at question number, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that the idea of showing prejudice towards anyone is the opposite of showing love. And we're always to love our brother or to love our neighbor. Jesus said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Showing prejudice is not showing love. Right, showing prejudice is not showing love at all, right. And that's uh, that goes back to where we had looked at earlier, back in verse four, becoming a judge with evil thoughts. If we're not, if we're not showing love, and we're showing some sort of partiality or prejudice against people, then we're not walking in love. We're not doing what we should be. So if we look at question six, what had the rich been doing against those to whom James wrote this epistle? He had a specific example. But they oppressed the poor and they drug them into court. And just in general, mistreat. Right. In general, they were oppressing the poor and the normal people because he's He's, you know, he's, there's, there's poor, there's rich, then there's these people that are in between, right? We refer to that as maybe the middle class, but he's, you know, he's saying, you know, aren't the rich people the ones who oppress you? And aren't they the ones that drag you to court? Because we see that even today, right? Because if you're, if you can afford a good lawyer, it's kind of known that you're probably going to win, even if you maybe you're not morally in the right. I mean, that's the way we feel, right? When we see the way the court system is used, the the rich have a have an advantage in that area, um, just using the law to their advantage through their money and power. So, what else? There was there was another another thing that was mentioned here. It was, yeah. Verse 7 Matt. talks about the, these rich people blaspheming the honorable name by which you were called. So Jesus, they 
Right, right. And um, I, I took down that they're, uh, they're really, really having faith in their wealth. And, you know, it's difficult for them, as the Lord has said, to, to trust and believe in God and, and to not trust and believe in their riches because they have that wealth. So it's hard for them to believe and follow the Lord. Does anyone have anything else on that? You can be rich, yes. but it's the way you handle your money that makes the difference. Yes, you can be rich. There's nothing wrong with uh, having an abundance. God promises us a lot of things, and, and you may be rich, and it's how you handle it. It's how you deal with others. What do you do with your riches? Or are you just hoarding it up like some of the stories again that uh, the Lord gave us for examples are you just hoarding all that up or are you actually sharing that with people in need it, it makes a difference and that's a lot of what James is talking about is practical application so it is and it's hard for them to be humble and to come to God and say I need you I need this because they have so much in their lives and they feel like, well, I don't need anything. I don't need you. That sounds awful, but I can see how in a worldly sense someone could get that, you know, attitude if they have that much stuff that they just don't see that they need anything. Does anybody have anything else? Yes. I'm just kind of saying the same thing, I guess, but it's not that they were rich that was the problem inherently. Right. But but the rich people they were seeing it in their context were these people who were ripping them off and oh. taking them to court and blaspheming the name of God and so but yet they were trying to honor the rich in a way and like think, Well that they're holy or something. You know, talking about coming into their assembly all fancy and they're gonna honor that person, but they need to realize in the context those were the unrighteous people that need to put in the context. Yes, the rich the the fact that they were rich was not the problem. It was their their attitude, their belief, and the way they acted and the way they did oppress them and take them to court. And there was a belief, and I forget where I read this, there, there was a belief at one point in Jewish society that the rich were the blessed of God, so they must be doing something right. So if they saw someone rich, they, they said, well, gosh, this person must be doing the right thing. I need to act that way or be that way. And we know that's not always the case. <laughs> so, but that was a belief they had. Because I can remember there was a conversation with the disciples and Jesus, and they were like, well, then who can be saved if the rich can't be saved? You know. Let's see. Um, did anybody have anything else on that? You just said that the rich find it hard to be saved because they had it all. Right. It's easier for right that's the conversation I was thinking of and yeah that's what Jesus said yeah that was that was the example he used but he did say right after they said but with God it's possible all things are possible so oh there are but there's not as many of them poor people need something and they know it you know what yep. I mean? Yeah, poor people are in need and they know they're in need. They know they're in need. Rich people, sometimes they don't think they have a need. Right. 
they don't think they have a need. They a rich person like us. Yeah, that's kind of what I was saying earlier is that, yeah, sometimes they just they don't have any need. So they don't feel like they need God. See, so we want to look at question seven next. And that is what would be well for them to do? And he's pointing us back to verse 8, if you notice. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's what Kim was mentioning a few minutes ago. If we fulfill the law of love, we won't have prejudice against anyone. We won't treat anybody special. And uh, now, I noted here it says to fulfill the royal law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, why is that a royal law? Who's our king? Jesus, right? So, Jesus is our king. He gave us this royal law or decree that we love our na your neighbor as yourself. Right? I just thought that was... Very good wording that James had there, that this was a royal law. Does anyone have anything else on that? All right. So if we look at question eight, what is the consequence of showing partiality? If, right. If we're prejudiced, it's a sin, right? If we're prejudiced against others. If we're judging the book by the cover, so to speak, and we're just treating them poorly, that is a sin. And it says that uh, when we do that, we're breaking that law. We're breaking that royal law. So then we are transgressors. Look back at verse 9. It says, uh, you are convicted by the law as transgressors. So, in yes. Context, in the context, and just going back in my mind here, he's talking about specifically if you have a rich man coming to church and a poor man coming to church and you treat the rich man nice and that you tell the poor man, you know, Go sit down at my feet and all this. And that's that's what he's talking about, being partial. Right. That's a specific yeah. example. Yeah. Right. Right. But it would apply because we know this has happened. It would apply if you were going by skin color, baldness, whatever you want to use to distinguish people. If we if we're always just and we do have a tendency as humans to lump people in groups, but if we use that in a harmful way, in an offensive or unloving way, that's wrong. Yes? Favorite things to do, but that person has a need, we need to jump in. 
Well, Jesus did. He did set the example really, and he set the bar really high because he humbled himself as a servant, like you said, washed the disciples' feet. And he said that, you know, as he did that, so, you know, we should take care of each other in a similar manner. We should humble ourselves and be a servant to others. And it doesn't matter if they're rich or poor or whatever group you want to lump them in. If, uh, if we have someone that comes in the congregation, we should always treat them the same, right? I mean, admittedly, you want to, you want to teach anybody that comes in that doesn't know the Lord about the Lord, but you can't do that by mistreating them or, you know, somehow being offensive toward them. Since we're specifically talking about that, I would say you could expand that out even further in just your regular daily life, but still, that's our example. That's what we're looking at. Does anyone have anything else? All right, so... So if we look at question number nine of what is one guilty if they stumble in just one point of the law? This is this is further, you know, continuing on that point. Right. If we stumble on one point, in other words, if we break one part of the law, we're guilty of all of it, right? And if we look at it from that perspective, any sin, you know, would be equal to any other. And there would be no mercy in the law in that sense. Yes. I can't remember where it, where it said it, but it said take heed lest we fall. Right. Take heed lest we fall. It's interesting to think that, you know, if we do one, if we don't do this one thing, then we're guilty of all. And when we think of all, we think of all. I didn't murder somebody. I didn't steal. You know, maybe I wasn't as kind as I should have been, or I didn't take advantage of that opportunity to get to know that person or find out what they might have needed. But here, that's that's a heavy thing to think about. You're guilty of it all. Right. Well. And that's, he's making the comparison either way, no matter which sin you commit, if you look at any sin that we might do, no matter what sin we commit, we have become a transgressor. We have broken the law. It doesn't really, as humans now, we tend to categorize and we say, well, this sin is not as bad as that sin. But really, if we're sinning, we're breaking the whole law regardless. I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. That's the way it's stated. Yes. I was thinking of when uh, Jesus said uh, the woman that was caught in uh, the act of adultery brought forward, that he said, those who have not sinned cast the first stone, and no one did. So, you know, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right. We know we've all sinned, and he, you know, he, he was making that point to those people who were getting ready to stone that, that woman who had been caught in adultery. Um, he made that point because... If you start, you know, Jesus was trying to get things to, trying to bring us back to the actual heart and spirit of God, that spirit of love, so that we forgive one another. We have that mercy for one another rather than just, you know, we're going to stone everybody 
when you do something wrong, you're, you're dead. You know, <laughs> if that was the case, would none of us would survive. We would never live. You know. I was going to say too. Uh, we don't know what he said, what he wrote in the ground because it said he, he wrote something in the ground. But speculation is possibly he might have written down the sins that people might have committed, like adultery, murder. Right. We don't know what he wrote, but it could have been something that convicted their hearts, let them know that, you know, he knew, because he knew people, he knew what, he he's still God in the flesh, he knew everything. So, all right. Um, so if we look at question 10, so then how should they speak and act? What well, says, right in verse 12, it says, So speak and so do or act as those who will be judged by the law of liberty, right? The law that the Lord gave us, we should do and act and speak as if we will be judged according to that law. Love your neighbor as yourself. So now why... Why is that? That's the second part of this question. Why? Because mercy triumphs over, uh, over judgment. Right. Because mercy, remember this all goes back to showing favoritism and being prejudiced and all that. I mean, this is all, this is all about that. And mercy, showing someone love or mercy triumphs over judgment rather than, you know, this is his... Uh, this is James' solution, these verses, verses 12 and 13. This is the answer to the whole problem, right? We should act as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. In other words, we should act as Jesus told us to act. And then the fact that compassion, if we have compassion for others, we will not commit that sin, and that would be the solution, yes. Yes, we do need to extend, you know, mercy and forgiveness to those around us if we want to receive that. Because he plainly says in verse 13, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And we know the Lord even mentioned that in a parable. Yes. Uh, there's a story in the Bible about a man that um, owed money to another man. And the man showed mercy on him. Yeah. Said it was okay, but then the man that had mercy showed upon him had people that owed him money. He he did not show mercy, and he paid for that. Yep, that was the parable I was thinking of. Is he he owed the master 
a huge sum. The master forgave him that sum. And then he went to somebody who owed him just a little bit of money. And he got him thrown in jail and just mistreated him, you know, just really, you know. So, yeah, that was the parable I was thinking of, too. And uh, we need to make sure that we are, you know, having compassion on others. Does anyone have anything else on that before we uh, move to the next section of the chapter? All right. So we're going to read James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Now, we had looked back at our summary. And this, this has to do with uh, true religion showing faith through works. Okay. So that's kind of the topic James is moving to here. Okay, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But you, pardon me, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So with that text in mind, with uh, the things that James is teaching us here, um, question 11 is what question does James address next, right? So that's kind of an odd question to question. Too many questions. Anyway, verse 14 basically just lays this out. This is, this is simple. It says, what does it profit if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? That's, that's his question that he's addressing, right? So he's given us this question. Yes? Faith always uh, prompts us to do something. I mean, if we have living faith, then we will prompt us to do something, whether it's to feed someone or take care of someone or even to be baptized into Christ. It all takes faith. Faith does always prompt us into action. Just like you're saying, faith, if you believe, you're going to act upon that belief. You're going to have that action, whatever that action may be, from, from prayer to baptism to helping others to all those things. Does anyone have anything else? 
All right. So if we look at question 12, what example is given to illustrate the futility of faith without works? Yes, ma'am. Good luck with that. <laughs> I wish you well, but you right. don't give them the things that they truly need, and that's just uh, false faith. Really right. If we see someone in need and we're just we're just giving them empty words, you know, if we're just saying something to them, even if it's nice, and I, I can understand that, but if we're not actually doing something to help them, then we've not. That's not a practical working faith. That's not really doing anything for that person. And that's just an example, but you can take that example out to a lot of things if we're not having a practical impact and actually doing something, then do we really have faith? You have to really question it because is that faith of any value? Yes. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, part of our worship, really worship is what we do every day for God, is how we live our lives for God every day. That's what real worship is. It's not just being here. This is, yes, a congregational worship and study that we do. But back to what you're saying, the Good Samaritan is a good example. There were two people, and I forget, one was a Levite and one was maybe a priest, they passed right by on the other side of the road from the dude that had been, you know, beaten and robbed and left there. And they did nothing to aid him. And then this Samaritan comes along and helps him. That's a practical application of helping someone in need, right? And uh, not just, well, they didn't even speak kindly to him. They avoided him totally, tried to stay out of the situation. But And that's just an example. I mean, when we see someone in need, someone who needs help, we should try to do what we can. We can't necessarily save the world or save everybody, but maybe we can help, you know. Does anybody have anything else on that? I just got to think about Boaz and how he saw her need and he stepped in and took care of it. Yeah, Boaz did did help Ruth and, uh, is it Naomi? Is that the right name, Naomi? Naomi That's right. Yeah, I know. But I mean, she ended up being helped also, is all I was getting at. That's all I was thinking of. But yeah, Boaz did step in and help them. Um, it's a little different uh, situation, that, but still, that was, you know, he, he allowed people to, you know, glean from his fields like he was supposed to. You know, he did that, and that helped the poor in that area. So he was definitely doing something like that. So I think we have time for at least one more. 
So if we look at question 13, so what is the condition of faith by itself without works? It's dead. It doesn't it's dead. It's worthless. It's useless. It's just, it's like I said earlier, empty words. It, it doesn't mean a lot if we're not actually doing something. I would even question if we're not acting on it, do you really even believe if you're not doing anything based on it? I mean, that would be me just in self-examination. That's just the way I look at it. So then if we look at question 14, how does James challenge the person who only has faith? Well, yeah, he's doing the Missouri thing. Yeah, show me. Yeah, show me. Show me your faith without your works. Show me your faith. Because there's nothing to see. That's right. There's no practical evidence. There's no fruit or result of faith in that sense. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Roman was like, you just say the word and I, I believe you, it's done. So he, he, had a, he had a lot of faith in the Lord. So, Right. Right. And Jesus had that compassion and that action. And you see the fruit in his ministry all the time, everywhere. I mean, the only place was, uh, was it Nazareth where he said he could do no great works there because of their unbelief? So, I mean, other than that, and that really wasn't his fault. And it doesn't say he didn't do anything. It just said he couldn't do any great works. So it's just something to be aware of. But um, he had that fruit all the time. And he's he's our main example. I mean, the Lord is. Yes, surely. Uh, going back to the question uh, 12, where, where we are to help those that are in need with everyday needs. Um Oftentimes what we do is we call someone up and we'll say, well, could I do something for you? Could I prepare you some food or do I need to go to the store for you or whatever? And, and lots of times they will say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. But to take that a step further, mm -hmm. uh, we should really, okay, just say, I'm making some food. Are you going to be home? I am planning on bringing this over. I want to make sure you are home. And you just take it a step further and do that. Instead of just the offer, I see what you're... If you, you tell me if I'm wrong. Just don't, Instead of just, just making the offer, you just go ahead and do it. Yes, you, you, take, you just take the initiative and go and do something, and that way you know that you have helped that person. Right, because we can that take the initiative and help someone, right. And it, yeah, I understand. 
it's more than just making the offer, though sometimes, depending on what it is, I understand we may, you know, offer because we don't know what else to do. But, uh, yeah, if you know you're doing something that you can help and you can just take the initiative and go do it, that is that is the better road, right? Yes, Matt. And that's probably a cultural thing for us that we're also, in our American perspective, we're self-sufficient and it's a shame or something. Yeah. Maybe the folks in the older times were more down to earth and it's like, yeah, I need help, you know, and they wouldn't put on that false air that maybe we can do. Like, if you offer me something, well, you know, I'm okay when, when I'm not okay. Right. We feel very self-sufficient and we do feel a sense of shame if someone helps us sometimes in our culture. And that's hard to fight against. So I understand that. And we, we do want to allow people to help us when we need it. And, and yes. The Lord said that there's a blessing in receiving from others. We can't always be the giver. Sometimes we need to humble ourselves and receive and acknowledge that, yeah, that would really be helpful if you did that. I had a friend and there was a gap in the family and she had young children. And she was talking about how they had so much to do to get ready and there was a calling hours and the funeral and the children. And I said, let me take the children so that you have less of a burden. And I remember a couple weeks after she said, that was so helpful. Um, just to not have tiny toddlers and preschoolers underfoot right there's a lot of practical things like that that we can do to help others and uh, and that's what uh, we should be doing definitely that's the idea of this is good practical faith where we're loving and helping others yes years ago uh, over 30 years ago I was uh, on the other end I was always giving but it came to the point that people were giving to me, and it was very difficult. But I knew I had to take it because I was, at the point I had to. It was back when Larry had lost his stomach and he didn't have a job. And we were without. And we had a house payment, and we still had the two boys at home. Right, and you needed help. That's understandable, and, uh, yeah. So, you all don't know this, but... The Church of Medina, where we were at, they paid our, our utility bills and they paid our house payment for several months. <laughs> and they came to me one day and wanted to know how I was doing financially. And I said, I think I'll be okay this month. You don't need to help me. They said, we're going to help you one more time. Well, at that point, we had a, we were getting ready to build a building. And I said, I know where that money is coming from, and I, I hate to take away from the building fund. And they said, the church is not the building. The church is the people, and you are the people, and we're going to help you. And that right. really touched my heart. Because people are. People are more important than the building. The congregation is what counts. The congregation, the people, are the church. Um, the people or what makes up the body of Christ, not all the buildings that we create and all the pews and things. Uh, not that these aren't good things. But. On a side note, there was hardly a Sunday that went by that I would shake hands with somebody with a $20 bill in my hand coming back. Went on for months. 
That's that's really nice of them. That's really good. All right, I'm going to have to stop us here. I know I have run over, and I want to thank you for your time and your attention. We'll come back next week and pick up with uh, question 15. Thank you very much.